Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, good morning. If you have not been with us, uh, what we just did there is our pastoral prayer. A little different this morning than what we normally do. We normally take time to pray for sister churches, uh, both locally and nationally and around the world. Uh, but today, in light of our children going back, our teachers who uh, they say they're going back. Many of them have already gone back um, with so many meetings, but then also for a lot of our parents who are going to be at home training their children as well, I wanted to take this time to pray uh, for our parents, for our teachers, for our children, uh, that God would be with them, God would protect them, comfort them, and God would shed his grace and his guidance upon them as this new school year uh, begins. I would be remiss uh, remiss if I did not share with you uh, on a personal note a congratulations to uh, Stephanie Brown, who just celebrated and graduated her master's. And so congratulations, Stephanie. So anyway, I did uh, ask her if that means that from now on we call her Master Brown. Um, and she has accepted that from me. Okay. Uh, well, didn't expect that. All right. Yes. Yeah, so there you go. Now, Stephanie, thank you. And congratulations. Uh, man, that's a huge accomplishment. And so congratulations on that. So uh, it's just good to have her help lead us in worship and to see what the Lord is doing in her life. Now, I'm about to do something that I don't know if I've ever done as a pastor of a local church, but I need to give you an announcement uh, that comes on behalf of our safety and security team, our grounds team. Uh, and I'm going to make this announcement. We're going to see how it goes. But if for whatever reason during the sermon you need to step out and use the restroom, we are asking that you step out those doors and use the restrooms in the education building because for whatever reason, these bathrooms are not working. Now, we don't know what's happened, what's going on. Uh, I just know that uh, we got a group of guys back there taking care of it. And by God's grace, it'll get taken care of. But if you see an out-of-order sign on the door, please be mindful of that and step over into the other building. Um, and now this brings us to our time of communion. No, uh, I, I don't even know how you segue from that. But anyway, uh, I wanted to make that announcement this morning uh, before we jump in. Anyway, uh, let me just start by saying this. It is good to be back. We are back walking through 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, I do want to again thank uh, Forrest, the team, the worship team, uh, Corey for their leadership, uh, not only this past week again, uh, but over the past several weeks. Um, as my family and I have been dealing with a very challenging season, a very hard season in our life, uh, many of you guys have reached out to us via text message, email, uh, Facebook messages, and, and my family and I are so appreciative. If you didn't know, uh, but my father-in-law, uh, Allison's father, went home to be with the Lord um, this past, uh, I guess it's been two weeks now, and so uh, we are back. Um, we praise God that Mike um, is fully restored in glory. We praise God that he is completely healed. Uh, we praise God that he is probably back to Mike being Mike, which was uh, just wonderful, a wonderful man, uh, a father figure in my life. Um, I was so thankful and grateful to have a, a father-in-law who was more than a father-in-law. He was a spiritual leader and, and taught me so much about being a man as well. So I'm grateful for my time with him. And uh, I would just ask and encourage you to please... Uh, Continue to pray for our family. Continue to pray for Allison and her brother and her sister and her mom as they continue to grieve. Uh, there are days where we celebrate together and we praise God. And then if you've dealt with any kind of grief like this before, you know uh, there are days that are just hard. And so uh, if you see us randomly in tears, it's not because of you. Um, we love you if you call and, and we start crying. It's not because of you. Um, it's because we're working through those uh, emotions together. And so just uh, continue to show us grace in that. And, um, 
and charity and uh, just continue to pray for us. But I do want to tell you on behalf of our family, uh, thank you for your outpouring of love and support and uh, just your help that you've offered to us. And um, if I've not gotten back to you, I promise we will at some point. So having said that, I want to go ahead and jump into our text in 1 Peter chapter 3, where we are finally uh, wrapping up chapter 3. This is something I had hoped we had done uh, by God's grace several weeks ago, but here we are. And I've got to tell you a truth that I've been learning as I've been studying uh, our text today is as I've been reading, I've been reading many scholars say that 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, which is where we find ourselves today, might actually be one of the hardest texts in all of 1 Peter. In fact, several scholars that uh, I've been reading over the course of the past couple of weeks in preparation of this sermon have argued that this actually might be the hardest section of the New Testament to either interpret or to understand, which is quite the statement considering that many people struggle to understand uh, books like Revelation or even the prophecies of Daniel themselves. I remember uh, meeting with a group of pastors this week and we were praying together in this room. And uh, one of the things that we spent time doing is praying for one another and praying over what it is that we were going to be uh, preaching on. And, and one of my brothers asked me, what are you preaching on this week? And I told him I'm in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. And, and I, this is what he said. He said, I want to tell you, brother, that I would much rather spend years preaching through the book of Revelation if it meant that I didn't have to contend with the words of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. <laughs> I got to tell you, I heard those words, and I don't know if I should be encouraged by that, or if uh, maybe maybe we should have rethought this a little bit. But either way, here we are. You know me. We walk through the text verse by verse together, and so here we are, and here we go. Now, in our text, as we've been walking through 1 Peter, and we get into 1 Peter chapter 3, we've already learned from Peter that persecution is coming, okay? He's already warned the exiles about this, and not just warned them, but he's actually encouraged them with the fact that persecution will come. In fact, Peter takes it one step further. If you remember from our previous text, he tells us that we shouldn't fear suffering. We shouldn't fear persecution, but rather we should expect it and, and not fear it. He also tells us that, listen, we shouldn't walk around every corner waiting on some sort of persecution to happen to us, or, or we shouldn't walk up to people meeting them for the first time, expecting them to, to cause us to suffer or cause us to be persecuted for some reason. But either way, Peter says, listen, either way, know this as a believer, as the elect exiles, persecution is coming. And so the question that we have to contend with today is this, as Christians today, like the exiles in Peter's day, are we ready for suffering? Out of the mouth of babes. Elders, come forward. We'll do, I, man, this is great. It's going so well today. <coughs> I promise that wasn't planned. I have to ask this question this morning. See what kind of answer I get out of this one. Do we have the strength to suffer? My little face disappeared. I would assume that many of us probably at this point, we've already talked about suffering in several texts already. And I would imagine that many of us upon hearing about whether or not we have the strength to suffer would think this, oh great, here we go. Another miserable thing to look forward to in life as the believer. I mean, think about this for a moment when it comes to suffering, especially suffering as the Christian. How many people have been won over with this message today? Come to faith in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, you will find your hope. 
There is good news in the gospel. And guess what? This is the best part. You are still going to suffer. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Does that sound like a a winning message that our world wants to hear? No. In our world, we want instant gratification. In our world, we want to know that there's comfort. In our world, we want to be satisfied with stuff. And the last thing we want to hear is that there is suffering to come. But think about this for a second as a Christian from a, from a historical perspective. You see, for most of the world, throughout most of history, being a Christian was not safe. In fact, uh, Stephen Neal, the British Anglican bishop, missionary, and scholar, in his writing on church history says that in the first three centuries, when the church was spreading like wildfire, he quotes, every Christian knew that sooner or later he might have to testify to his faith at the cost of his life. Now just think about that for a moment. Better yet, think about that outside of our own security. Think about that outside of our own environment. Think about that outside of our own bubble, if you will. Imagine living a life where your evangelism could not offer safety to people. Imagine for a moment that your good news could not offer the comfort that people were expecting from this world. Imagine for a moment that the gospel we share could not offer people immediate satisfaction. Rather, what it is that we do believe, what it is that we do teach, what it is that we do preach, could ultimately, if they come to faith in Christ, lead to their death. And we lived in the same place where preaching that same gospel could lead to our own death. You see, the norm for Christians has never been safety. The norm for Christians has has never been the safety that we see in our country. In fact, today, Christians all over the world are still meeting in secret. Christians all over the world today are still meeting under suffering. Christians all over the world are still meeting in places where they can be persecuted for their faith. And by God's grace, through the technology, we can read about their stories each and every day. When you think about what's happening in our world today and what's happened in our world historically, and you look back to our text, this is exactly the norm that Peter and the exiles were experiencing living under a very hostile Roman Empire towards Christians. You see, persecution had come for the exiles. Suffering was now knocking at their door. And yet for Peter and the exiles... They still believed that Jesus Christ was worth the cost. In fact, it was Christ himself who had prepared Peter for this moment. And in his writing, Peter shares with the exiles that it is Christ who has now given the exiles the strength to suffer. So if you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 18 together. And if you can and you are able, I would invite you to stand now in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is Peter writing in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. He writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, 
in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, I want to tell you this morning, if you at all had a good pastor standing before you, instead of preaching this text by itself, the way it will be done today, he probably would have preached this combined with everything that we've already read about two weeks ago in verses 13 through 17. Now, we could stay and discuss the merit and the worth of your pastor today, but I think we ought to save that uh, for another day. So for us this morning, I want us to really break this passage down so that we can see the call and the truth from within the text and ultimately how it fits in the overall context of Peter without getting bogged down into what's become some of the poorer interpretations of this passage that it has now become notoriously known for. So let me just set the scene for you this morning. Here is Peter's theme from the text. Very simple. Jesus suffered for doing good. And yet Jesus was vindicated by God. Therefore, As his people, followers of Jesus Christ, we can now know and experience freedom because of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Lord. Why? Because Jesus Christ has power over death. Thus, for the Christian, when compared to knowing Christ when compared to the power and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our suffering is now feeble and weak. You see, as Christians today, I think we need to really get out of our comfort zone for just a moment and really take on a, a heavy dose, if you will, of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, which we're going to get into in later weeks, but let's hear it today. It says that, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You see, Peter knew and understood that as exiles living in a world not our own, remember he says this back in 1 Peter 1, verse 1 and 2, we should not be surprised when the world despises Christians. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should not be surprised, whether historically or biblically, we should not be surprised when the world despises Christianity itself. And so we have to ask ourselves this question this morning. Why are we still surprised by suffering? I mean, suffering has been a part of Christian history. The Bible itself, whether you read the New Testament, the Gospels, or you go all the way back to the Old Testament, the Bible tells us that suffering is coming for the believer. So why, as Christians today, are we shocked when suffering happens? Better yet... Why, as Christians today, are we surprised when we are slandered for our faith? 
Why are we surprised today when we see people around us who begin to slander the church? This should not be a surprise to us because historically and biblically, we knew this moment was coming. In fact, when you look at Peter in our text, Peter knew that suffering was coming. In fact, before we get into our text, chapter 3, verse 17, Peter tells the church that they are going to suffer for doing what is right. They're going to suffer for doing that which is far better. Then if you look past our text, into 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, Peter says that the, there is purpose in the suffering because Christ himself also suffered. So if you notice, in the bookends of our text this morning, Peter tells the church, get ready to suffer for doing what is right. Get ready to suffer for, for taking a stance on the Word of God. Get ready to suffer for doing what is biblical. Why? Because that is and may very well be the will of God for our lives. But then Peter says to us, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves, not with, not with weapons, not with man-made weapons, but rather arm yourself with the Word of God and prepare yourself for that purpose. So this brings us back to our text today in verses 18 through 22, where Peter is now going to answer the question, how do we have the strength to suffer? Or better yet, how to have the strength, the strength to suffer? Peter tells us first in verse 18, he says, to remember Christ's suffering and to remember his victory. Now, this passage, honestly, should be more of a reminder of what it was that we talked about two weeks ago. So let's just kind of recap this, and I want to I go ahead and, and challenge you. I hope that you remember two weeks ago, uh, I asked you to memorize this verse, and I hope you've accepted that challenge. And if you've not, don't worry, there's more time. You still can um, to memorize this verse. But here's what I want to do today. Uh, Daniel, if you would, can you throw verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 3 back up on the screen? I want us to read this together. So would you just look at the screens with me and just, just read it for a second together? Okay, so read it out loud. Here we go. We're going to do it together. All right? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Thank you guys so much for reading that with us. Now, here in this text already in verse 18, Peter is calling the church to remember Jesus Christ. Peter is calling the exiles to remember that it was Jesus Christ who suffered, to remember that it was Jesus Christ who was put to death by crucifixion, and yet to remember that it was Jesus Christ who also defeated death. Thus, it is Christ who has now returned to his kingdom. But here's the reality that Peter was trying to explain to the exiles, the reality that we need to hear today, and that is this. That story of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the, the hope of Christ being in his kingdom, that is only a part of the story. You see, Peter now teaches the exiles that just as Christ suffered and was victorious, so too we as believers will suffer. One day we very well may die in suffering, but as believers in Christ, we too will be victorious because we now belong to Jesus Christ who is our Savior and Lord. In fact, it was in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. 
We read these words from Mark. He says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to him, this is Jesus' words. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Notice that in Jesus' own words, words that Peter heard directly, words that Peter understood very well. Peter reminds us in the same way Jesus taught that just as Jesus Christ bore the cross, therefore we too as Christians need to understand that one day we will bear the cross as well. Now our cross may not be crucifixion, but suffering will come. Suffering will take its own shape. Now, I want you to realize that when Peter says these words in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the same words that we see in Mark chapter 8, excuse me, Mark chapter 8, verse 34, these words should not cause us to fear as Christians. But rather, as Christians today, these words should fill us with hope. Because we see in these words that just as Christ suffered, we too will suffer. However, our suffering is not the end of our story. Later in verse 18, we see that Jesus is victorious over the greatest enemy. And it is Jesus Christ who now brings us safely to God. So we can safely argue from Peter's words in verse 18 that Jesus Christ meets the greatest human need. Now the greatest human need, let me put this to rest this morning. The greatest human need is not our comfort. The greatest human need is not our health. The greatest human need is not our wealth. No, our greatest human need is to have our sins forgiven so that we can be reunited with God who is the creator of the universe. Do you see what we're learning from Peter in verse 18? Atonement leads to restoration. Atonement gives justification that leads to sanctification so that there is glorification when we are reunited with God in his kingdom. That is what Jesus Christ has done for us. So when we look at verse 18, this really should be a great comfort for all of us as Christians. Peter teaches that Jesus died for sins. He teaches that Jesus died the righteous for the unrighteous. He teaches us that Jesus died once for all. In other words, the crucifixion and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was the debt paid. It was the ransom received. It was the guilt removed. Why? Peter answers the question. So that he, being Christ, might bring us to God. You see, Jesus died the death that we deserved. And Jesus was victorious over death. He rose from the dead. And here comes the comfort for us. Because of Christ's resurrection, he made sure that death cannot nor will not defeat us. Because it's in death that Christ will bring us safely home to God. Do you realize as Christians today, this is why we can walk around and say that God is near us, God is for us, and our lives are now hidden in Him? What a promise we have in Christ. 
I mean, talk about victory and suffering. Christian, there it is. Your victory is found in the suffering and the victory of Jesus Christ. And for that alone, he is worthy to be praised. This leads us to our our second point in finding the strength to suffer. Peter continues in verse 19 and 20. He says this, not only should you remember Christ's suffering and Christ's victory, but remember this, remember Noah. Now you may be hearing that and thinking, wait a minute. You just told me to remember Christ. You just told me to remember the greatest victory that we have ever known. So why on earth now do I need to remember or recall the story of Noah? I mean, what does Noah have to do with any of this text? Well, Peter says in verse 19 and 20, he says, In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now, I got to be honest with you, upon initial reading of this passage, I imagine that the exiles might have felt like this was a bit far-fetched. They might have felt for a moment, what is Peter talking about? Like, you just told us about the victory in Christ. Man, this thing about about Noah is from left field. Why do we, I mean, did I read that right? Or has the heat in Rome gotten to Peter? Like, why, why do I need to remember Noah all of a sudden? But before we write Peter off, let's remember these words. That just like in our suffering, there is also purpose within the writing. Now, let's start with what we know. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, these two verses, if you had the time and the patience and you wanted to buy me lunch, we could expound upon these two verses for hours, okay? But we we don't have that kind of time today. So let's just kind of, let's motor through this as best we can. First of all, let's start with what we know. We know there are eight persons, okay? The eight persons, we can all agree, clearly Noah and his family. We understand that from the story in Genesis. However, the controversy comes in when we read that Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now, there are those out there in our world today who claim to be followers of Christ who say that this passage now justifies a place called purgatory by claiming that Jesus Christ preaches to the dead. Therefore, after death, you can still receive Christ. There are Christians who claim Christianity who will say to us today, listen, I'm going to live as the world desires for me to live. I'm going to do as I desire to do. I don't care about Christ because one day, according to this passage, I'm going to die, see Jesus, and he's going to preach to me, and at that point, I'll get saved. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I don't know what we call that. It's not theology because it's just bad. But I'm going to tell you, that could not be further from the truth this morning. In fact, to save time, I think what Peter's referring to here takes us back to Genesis chapter 6, where we see Jesus in spirit, because he's already been with God. He is one with God. He was God, according to John chapter 1, verse 1. We know this already. Was sent to preach to those who mocked Noah as a righteous man obeying God, which would be similar to the same mocking and the same ridicule that Peter and the exiles were now experiencing as well. So what we see in this moment is Jesus was preaching to those who were in disobedience and whose time was now running short. Thus, the exiles in Peter's day. The same with our day as well. We have a gospel message. We have a good news message. There is a message of hope, a message of restoration, a message of Jesus Christ and the hope that is found in him that we are now called to preach to those who do not know him. But I'm not going to just stop there. 
Because even those who do not know Him are considered disobedient before the eyes of God. So you see, we have a gospel message that we have been called to proclaim, that we have been called to teach to those who are now disobedient. And the reality is this, the time is short because there is a day coming where God will call them and call us, whether individually or collectively together, and then judgment. Now, some have argued as well that upon reading this passage, as Christians, we don't need things like the Apostles' Creed. They say things like this, but the creed tells us that Jesus descended into hell. Well, let's consider the language for the moment. If we were to actually modernize the language of the Apostles' Creed, it might be understood this way, that he was crucified, descended into hell, was dead and buried, and rose again on the third day. You see, Jesus' main descent, according to the Apostles' Creed, into hell was at the cross when he took on the sins of the world. Jesus' descent into hell was when he took on the sins of the world and therefore took on separation from God and therefore the wrath of God was poured out upon him at the crucifixion. This does not mean that Jesus all of a sudden descended into hell, joined with Satan, high-fived him, and then began to preach to those who were already dead and already judged. Rather, they were seeing the victory of God before their eyes. To know more about this, flip over to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. Read it yourself. If anything, here's what we can say. We can say that they are now in prison. Those who have died not knowing Christ have now seen the glory of God. They have experienced the judgment of God and now they await the final judgment that comes at the end of days and there is now no turning back at this point. There is no purgatory for us to stop and rethink our lives and our decisions. Now, this doesn't help us answer the question of how does Noah and the story of Noah give us the strength to suffer. So let's do that now. How does the story of Noah give us the strength to suffer? First, we learn this from the story of Noah, that Jesus Christ exists outside of both space and time. Jesus Christ is neither constricted nor restricted in either greatness or power. Thus, when Christ says that he will be with us, as he says in Matthew chapter 28, we can rest in knowing that Jesus Christ is with us. So whether we suffer now, whether we suffer later, whether we suffer for the rest of our days, whatever suffering comes, whatever suffering happens here or to the ends of the earth, we can always rest in the hope of knowing that Jesus Christ is truly with us. Secondly, from the story of Noah, we see that we are, that we are also strengthened as we see that it is better to obey God than to be condemned to prison for our sins. You see, in Noah's day, the people were comfortable. In Noah's day, according to Genesis chapter 6, the people mocked Noah. They continued to mock Noah as Noah remained faithful to God. And that mockery continued until all of a sudden the rains came. And so as Christians today, this is why we too can endure suffering. For when suffering comes as the rains fall, we can be protected from eternal punishment through Jesus Christ our Lord because we are found safe in the ark. 
to compare two stories. The third way that we can see that the story of Noah shows us how to have the strength to suffer is this. Go back to, the, go back to what Peter tells us. He tells us about the family of Noah. He says there were eight of them. Now, when you read that, in light of Genesis chapter 6, it makes sense. There were eight of them. But read it in a bigger context. Eight is a small number. Eight in Noah's day is still the minority, the vast minority. And so as Christians today, it is okay for us to be the minority. We live in a country today that is moving further and further away from morals, further and further away from ethics, further and further away from Christian values. And the reality is the number of Christians, the number of of faithful believers gathering together in the local body, which is the church, that number is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. But as long as we are still faithful to God, as long as we are still remaining obedient to God according to His Word, then we know that one day the tables will turn. And so as Christians today, though we are beginning to shrink in our understanding of the Word, though we are shrinking in number of those who remain faithful to the Word, let's continue to move in confidence towards our great reward, which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. I can't help but wonder if perhaps After reading Matthew chapter 7, perhaps this is why the road is so narrow. There may not be a lot of people on it. So Christian, today, if I could encourage you, remember Noah. Stop and remember Noah. We may find ourselves living in a day and a time where we are mocked for our faith. We may be mocked by non-Christians. We may even get mocked and ridiculed by, by other people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. But the reality is this, there is no amount of worldly comfort that will ever save us from the judgment seat of God. So Christians, stay faithful. Christians, stay obedient to the Word. Stay true to the path that Jesus Christ has you on for for His will and for His glory. Follow Him. Though we may be small in number, we will be protected. And as the exiles in Peter's day knew, In the end, it will be worth it. This leads to our third point on how to have the strength to suffer, which is found in verse 21, which is this. So not only do we have, remember the suffering and the victory of Jesus Christ, remember the story of Noah. Now we are told in verse 21 to know the meaning of baptism. Now, the reality is when you read verse 21, we need to see verse 21 is directly linked to verse 20, according to Peter. So verse 21 says this, baptism which corresponds to this, this being the verse 20, now saves you, not as a a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice what Peter has done here. Peter now correlates the floodwaters of Noah to that of the baptism of a Christian. Now, Peter has already told us in verse 18, who is saved? That is, that is us. Or excuse me, who, who's the one that does the saving? That's not us. That's actually Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Lord. But now he turns his attention back to this question. Who are the ones whom are saved? And Peter answers, those who have been baptized. Now, some folks have debated this passage to mean that, that baptism itself saves you or that you should be baptized first, and then look back on your baptism in order to see your faith. But unfortunately, that's not true because that's not what Peter's telling us. 
No, what Peter is saying is baptism saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So notice what Peter is telling us about baptism. He's saying to us, listen, baptism is an outward expression of a spiritual inward appeal to God for a good conscience and a pure heart. Our faith in Jesus Christ is what saves us. So when we are baptized, we are saying, God, I trust you to apply the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to me for my sins. That's why we are buried with Christ in baptism. And I trust you to bring me through death, through judgment, and into the everlasting life found in the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. So again, hear these words from Peter, baptism by immersion. That's not what saves us. Rather, baptism is an expression of faith. Better yet, baptism is an appeal to faith. In fact, in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Paul writes this. He says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So now in knowing this, we have to ask the question, how does baptism give us as Christians the strength to suffer? Answer number one, because baptism coming through the water reveals that we have passed through death and judgment and into everlasting life with Christ. Secondly, we see that baptism reminds us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been pardoned by God. We have been ransomed by Christ, and we express that faith through our baptism. So you see, for the Christian, why it's so necessary to be the, the next step in coming to faith in Christ for the Christian. Baptism reveals the work that Jesus Christ has already done in us and through us because we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And so baptism is that expression of that faith. This leads to Peter's fourth and final point. And it's found in verse 22. He says this. If you want to have the strength to suffer, then you need to see Jesus Christ reign. You need to see Jesus Christ rule. Now, earlier we talked about in verse 18 to remember the suffering and the victory of Jesus Christ. But now Peter's going to take this one step further by saying, hey, listen, you want the strength to suffer, then see what it is that Jesus Christ is up to now. Read with me again in verse 22. It says, And speaking of Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers, having been subjected to him. Notice what Peter does. He brings us back to Jesus Christ, who has conquered. He brings us back to Jesus Christ, who now rules. He brings us back to Jesus Christ, who now reigns. This is the dreaded warrior of Jeremiah chapter 20, who now stands victorious in heaven and who has been given the seat of honor at the right hand of God the Father. And notice what Peter reminds the exiles of in this phrase. He says there is no harassing 
There is no oppressing. There is no deceiving. There is no accusing demon who is now free to do as he pleases. No, in all things, all angels, all authorities, all powers, all devils, all evil spirits, all demons, all sicknesses, all pandemics, and Satan himself are now subject to the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise be to God. I mean, just think about the words that we see in Scripture where it tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you understand what that means? A day is coming where Satan himself will bow before the throne of Jesus Christ and he will declare him as Lord. A day is coming where we will find ourselves before the throne of God and we will bow because Jesus Christ is Lord. This is why when you read Matthew chapter 28, the very beginning of the Great Commission, notice what Jesus says. The first thing he says, he says, all authority has been given to me. Even when we come back into Peter's letter, later in his letter, he's going to refer again to the devil prowling like a lion seeking to devour And yet we are told that we can have the faith to know that even that lion is subject to Jesus Christ. Do we today as Christians, and I'm asking, do we recognize that our lives are subject to Jesus Christ? Do we we understand that? Do we we see what it is that Peter's talking about? Because I think what Peter wants the exiles to know is this. He's wanting them to know, listen, your life cannot be touched apart from the will of God. Your life cannot be touched, not only apart from the will of God, but to the degree that God allows. So Christians, can I encourage you for a moment? Please stop saying, God will not give me more than I can handle. That's wrong. Rather, what you should do is rest in the strength of knowing that when suffering comes, God's going to allow more than we can handle, but he is only going to allow enough suffering to be done for our good, but ultimately for his glory by his will. So when speaking of our own lives, whether in celebration, whether in suffering, we need to be able to look and say, to God be the glory because of what he has done. And why do we know this? Because as we've already been told, Jesus Christ alone has all authority and Jesus himself alone is authority. You see, the reality for us today as Christians is this. No one ever said that suffering would be easy. And the word of God and history itself has taught us that suffering will come for the believer. And for Peter, his goal was to provide the exiles with the strength to suffer. He does this by calling them to remember Christ's suffering, but then also to remember Christ's victory. He says to them to remember Noah and remember that the presence of Christ is with you. He teaches them to know the meaning of baptism. And the faith that is found in Christ, which originated with Christ. And then he encourages them by saying to them, listen, 
Jesus Christ now rules. Jesus Christ now reigns. And nothing happens apart from the will of God. Christian, if we see these things as well, then we too will find hope in persecution. We too will find peace for our pain. And as Christians living in a world moving further and further and further away from God, we will have the strength to suffer. For the glory of God, may He be praised. Let's pray together.